0: I want to welcome you here today. I'm so excited for this because Church Renewal, I'm not only a spokesman today, I'm a client. I've been part of Church Renewal for five years, and I tell pastors, this is what I tell them, this is what gets their attention. My, I used to use my budget for conferences to go to California to hear Andy Stanley, Craig Rochelle, or, and those speakers, and I loved it. It was great, but now I go to Steinbeck, <laughs> and I've been out there in January, and I say, Mark, why do you do that? California Steinbeck, because church renewal has been the first thing that i not only heard and sit and listened to, but now I apply it to my life every day. It's not just being inspired with information, it's renewing me, which helps renew our church. In fact, church renewal says, you know, we are renewing pastors to renew churches, or renewing leaders to renew churches. And I'm rereading this little book uh, that I read called The Intentional Ministry, and, it, and this is what he says, and it's, it's right online. You should, all, you should also know that it is unlikely the church will experience any significant transformation unless its leaders experience it first in their own lives. And that's what changed for me. When I experienced renewal, um, prayer life went up, hearing from God went up, doing ministry, having it laid out in such practical, effective ways, and not just changed me, it changed our church. I'd love to share with you sometime the testimony of how that happened. It's, it's really, it really works. So I'm really glad to have Pastor Ray and Fran here today and Eddie and John and Lorraine and who am I, oh, Josh and Phoebe. Phoebe, yes, Phoebe yes also. So I'm glad you're here. I just want to open up a word of prayer and then we'll get started together. Lord, we are so excited to uh, what you're doing in our churches, in our land, and in our world. We want to connect with that. And we want to be part of that, God. So I thank you, Father, that we have that means today. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God who moves in cr- tremendous, powerful ways. And it's fun to watch. It's even more fun to be part of it. So I thank you for this opportunity today. Bless Pastor Ray and those who came with him today as they minister and share with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we're gonna, All right, so we're going to welcome, who's coming up, John? Are you coming up? This is John Bergen. He's a director in Canada for. Pastor Mark, thank you. Thank you.
1: KR Davidson Jr., please wave your hand as you walk on by. Thanks, KR, for all your hard work here in the uh, Niagara region. I trust you've come today with a sense of expectation upon your lives to, in some way, be encouraged in your journey with Jesus. We trust that's why you're here today, right? I've come to believe, as the uh, director for church here in Canada, that as, as we as leaders and pastors walk close to Jesus in letting him be the, the Lord of our lives, having him guide and direct our everydays, we can begin to expect him to do things in and through us that we would never have thought of, because it's him doing it. And over time, we sense that, wow, God, this isn't me, this isn't really you. And I trust that, in a sense, is your hope and your dream, even part of your story. And therefore, as I, as I um, do the intro on Pastor Ray Dirksen, that's what I've come to see in Ray and Fran Dirksen, as he had led Southland Church for some 22 years, and then Ray now is the founder and director of Church Renewal Canada, but now globally. Some 12 years ago, I had a phone call from a pastor friend of mine, and he and I were, were co-sharing when we would work with, uh, at times, to do different gatherings in Canada for, for, for pastors, and he mentioned to me about a pastor in Steinbach that has, had then had a church of 2,000 people. And I said, well, where's Steinbach?" And I, I had met Ray before. And the next thing, I, I called Ray, got him on the phone right away. And what blessed my socks was the fact that it wasn't some big iconic American dude. He's a guy from Canada, right? Little city in Canada. But God doing some unusual things there, talking about renewal of younger and older people in his church through what was called set free retreats. And seeing uh, people kind of walk in their freedom and wholeness and things which I knew in my ministry was was not happening, but was my heart's cry. That led to my son and I going to our first set for retreat in Steinbach. It was me with all the young guys and gals, right? And then the young, and and Ray as as he taught it. I then went back with Lorraine, my wife, who's here, of course, and then found ourselves going to a, a church summit a monthly prayer, prayer gathering. And what he told me, I could not even get into my mind that in a small town like that, back then in their smaller church setting, just under 1,000 folk would, would attend a monthly prayer meeting. But I knew where he was from. He couldn't be telling me, you know, a story. And being there and saying, oh, my goodness, God is doing something new here, which we haven't seen before in my generation. Now, let the pastor tell a story of how church renewal then became reality out of a, a dream and a call of God upon their lives and even our lives. But friends, uh, Ray and Fran Dirksen, pastor there for, for, for some 22 years. And then in 2011, Ray then launched Church Old Canada and now it's Church General Global. So will you join like me to welcome Ray Dirksen and, and his wife, Fran, from Stanback, Manitoba. Pastor Ray, please.
2: Uh, good morning, welcome here, and uh, thank you for having us. Thank you, KR, for all the hard work. Thank you, Mark Royal, and for the two of you working together and, and hosting this. Uh, we just had, we, we came from a roundtable presentation on church renewal last night, and we were in Toronto, and uh, they cut us off at 150. They called us and said, no more registrations, that's it. Our venue can't handle more, and that's, uh, that's as much food as we're paying for because uh, we had a big Asian supper, because it was in the evening. And uh, and so we said, yeah, okay. So then the people quit registering, and they just walked in. <laughs> and so 190 people later, uh, the, the place was packed. And, and I just made sure I was at the front of the lineup, and uh, I got plenty of Asian food, and I, I was well fed. Uh, I don't know about anybody else, though. So anyway, welcome here. It's good to have you. Thank you, John, for the uh, the introduction, and thank you for taking your time to be with us this uh, this morning. Um, Fran and I come from Steinbeck, Manitoba. We were high school sweethearts and got married, uh, moved uh, sh- shortly after, within nine months, we moved, and uh, then uh, moved to Calgary, lived there a number of years, and uh, and took my flight training, became a commercial pilot, and um, started down the, uh, the, f- the flight career till the Lord called us into ministry, and then um, um, we, uh, we stepped aside from the career and uh, retooled, retrained, and then we planted a church in Woodstock that I'm gonna tell you about in just a moment uh, because it relates to what we're talking about. So we've been in Southern Ontario for about 12 years. And uh, we were gone from Steinbeck for a long time, and we ended up in Steinbeck. But that's part of the story uh, that I'll tell you about in just a moment. Uh, Fran and I have been married for 46 years, which is amazing because people think that I'm 40. <laughs> just saying. I, I mean, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, gray hair, my wife says. Uh, I don't have the same product she does. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Anyway, uh, I guess you want to know how many children we have. We have four children, two sons, two daughters, and uh, both sons are in ministry. In fact, the church that I uh, pastored, well, we planted and pastored a church in Woodstock for eight years and then 22 years at the church in Steinbach, And... Uh, the, and my oldest son now, we just transitioned. He's the lead pastor there. And my youngest son, has, so he's been there 17 years on staff with me. And the youngest one is on, has been on staff for 10 years. And, um, and uh, then we have two daughters in between. They're all, all four are married. All four are in the church. And we have how many grandchildren? 17. Yes. And Yes. And you would, too, if it was that cold where you lived. <laughs> ah, some of you caught that. Um, we'll just leave it at that. Otherwise, it's too much information. Anyway, um, I, I want to introduce uh, the team because uh, we have part of the team, uh, m- most of the team here. Uh, you saw John Lorraine. Um, Lorraine is his wife. They've been uh, directors on the Canadian side now, right from the inception of November 2011. And uh, then four years ago, we hired uh, Eddie and Christina Dubon from Latin America. Where are you, Eddie? Uh, he's here somewhere. There's Eddie, right over there. And there's an Omer sitting right over there. Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, so now you know. And uh, they've been with us uh, for four years. They, they are directors for Latin America. And uh, then, two months ago, we hired directors for Southeast Asia for church renewal. And one of them is taking pictures back there. That's Phoebe. And Joshua, where are you? Uh, right over there. So Eddie and Christina, they were with OM for seven years, uh, 13 years with Campus Crusade. And uh, Joshua and Phoebe are from the Philippines and um, uh, pastored there for 10 years. Then they moved to Canada, pastored for another 20, 21 years in Edmonton. He was in church renewal mentoring and said one day after the mentoring, he said, can I talk to you? Yes. Pastor Ray, we need this in the Philippines. And I said, well, I don't know anybody from the Philippines. And uh, he said, well, I do. And I said, well, who do you know? he said well for example i have a brother and he oversees 70,000 evangelical churches of the philippines i said oh <laughs> now i said can we talk <laughs> and then he invited his brother to come out and 2 years ago he came noel and he has another pa- uh, brother that's a pastor in the philippines and And Phoebe's uh, family is uh, ministry, you know, out of the ministry, uh, from ministry. They've been pastoring for many years and so on and so forth. Anyway. Anyway, they're in orientation and they'll be based out of the Philippines for church renewal. Anyway, the question that we want to ask this morning is this Does the church need to be renewed? Because there's really no point in us getting together here and talking about church renewal if the church doesn't actually need to be renewed. If we don't have a problem, then we don't need a solution. Isn't it true? So let's not take for granted the question that we need renewal. Let's just look at it for a moment. And I believe there are several indicators that would suggest that we we need renewal uh, of the Canadian church, and uh, not only the Canadian church, but we're finding in many other uh, countries as well. Uh, first indicator is that the church has been losing many of its young people. And I remember 2012, Bruce Cleminger, president of the EFC, was sitting in my office in Steinbeck, and he told me, uh, I asked him the question, the stats that I'm reading about 60% youth leaving you know, evangelical churches, is there any truth to it? And he said... Yes, there is. And he said, we're about to publish a report. And they did, of course, and many of you have read a hemorrhaging report, very extensive. One of the architects of that report is a sociologist by the name of James Penner. And one day I was at a meeting like this in Lethbridge that, uh, that John Lorraine had set up for us there. There were many people there. And uh, during a break... I was just going over some notes because they asked me to speak on, an, uh, an, on another topic as well. And uh, so I was just, as they were taking a break, I quickly was going over the notes. And a man walks up to me and he says, hi. And he, th- you know, he thrust out his hand to shake my hand. And I said, hi. And he said, my name is James Penner. And then he had this big grin on his face. And all at once I went, are you the James Penner from the hemorrhaging report? And he said, yes. And I, was, I went, oh, no, I was just summarizing what the report said. I, oh, I bet I bummed it up. And I said, did I even get close? And he said, it was very accurate. So I've asked him what I'm going to say now. Is, is, is that a good summary for... 30 or 45 seconds and he said yes this is an accurate summary for that of course of course the report said way more than this but essentially there were three key points that it made when they did exit interviews with the young the next gen and that's what we've got to be concerned we've got to be concerned about the next generation because every generation has to win the next generation isn't it true It's not like it just continues without any effort. And uh, when they did the exit interview with the next gen, this is what they were saying in response to why are you leaving the church. Reason number one, there's a lot of talk about God, but we don't experience God. Now that's, that's, that's strange, considering that we always say that when you get saved, you can have a relationship with God. How is it that you can have a relationship with God and not experience Him? If you have a relationship with someone, you experience that individual. Is that true? If you, can you imagine a, a marriage in which, which there's no talk? A marriage like that is in trouble, isn't it? Where there's no experience. It's just cold every time you walk in the room. And they never talk. That's that's not a good relationship. The same thing with God. It's no different. So they said, "We, we don't experience God. Number two. It's interesting. Henry Blackaby wrote the thing experiencing God many years ago, right? Number two, they said, as we've been watching our parents, we've noticed something that that their faith is not making very much difference on their own personal lives and their decision-making. And we're not so sure that it's something real. We're beginning to think that this is just an intellectual faith. You just believe a certain set of doctrines, and that's what the faith is about. Because it's not making a difference. Number three, the church is dead. That was the third one. I'll just leave it at that. And they weren't, by the way, when they said uh, the church is dead, they weren't talking about drums and guitars and PowerPoints. Can we just get past that already? Uh, They were talking about real life in the church. Real experiential life in the church. The life of the Spirit working through the church in a healthy way. That's indicator number one. Indicator number two is that the church is unholy. I'm not going to go through all the stats about sex outside of marriage, divorce, pornography, well pornography, 60, 70% some of the stats uh, within the church. How can you have how can you have a church that's experiencing God if there's huge amounts of immorality as an example in the church? Is that true? How can we ex- how can we expect God to come? In fact, you know one of the things we do often before we pray, we invoke the Holy Spirit, right? Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Is is that true? Oh, I better give you this to turn off. I just heard one email already. (laughs) And and we invoke him and we say, uh, Holy Spirit, come, you know, in an invocation. Now, is it wrong to welcome any member of the Trinity in our services? Yes or no? no. Absolutely not. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Welcome the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No problem. But sometimes our invocations, are uh, uh, they resemble more like the prophets of Baal who jumped up and down on the altar and cut themselves screaming and yelling for their gods to come down and send fire from heaven And there was no answer. Do you know what I'm saying? Here's what I want to say. God wants to go to our churches. He actually wants to attend our churches more than we pastors do. (laughs) Have you ever woken up in the morning and said, oh no, i got to go to my own church today? Have you ever felt like that? I mean, I'll say it right now. Yeah, I have. Okay, I saw saw one or two hands. Uh, I, don't, I haven't always wanted to attend my own church. But God always wants to meet with his people. Always. But there's a problem. <laughs> there are conditions to meet. If, what? My people who are called by my name will... Pray. Yeah. And turn from our wicked ways. What's the next key word? Then. If then I will and forgive their sins and heal their land. If then. There are conditions to meet. If we're going to experience God. When we meet the conditions of approaching a holy God, then you can't keep him out of your church. Do you, do you know what I mean? Sometimes, sometimes we we'll go around and say, Oh, oh uh, God is in this place. And everybody's going, Okay, I hope so. Because they can't tell. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes we're saying things that aren't necessarily so. I don't mean we're trying to tell the, tell you know say say something untruthful. I don't mean that at all. But sometimes we're just saying things. But he people I mean people have to be when's the last time people walked into our churches and said I sense something different when I walk into this place. Strangers coming in and say, boy, something is different here. Huh? Right? We can't keep them out. So uh, Isaiah said, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is ear too dull to hear. He wants to. But the very next verse in verse 2 says, but your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So that's a, that's a second indicator that we, uh, that we need to consider. Uh, here's a third indicator. The church is weak and unprepared in many ways. I want to ask you a question. Um, secularism is becoming more and more militant in our country. Isn't it true? It's becoming more and more militant towards Christianity. And uh, and in our, in our community, um, I mean, 2013, March 7th, and I was in Kelowna and I had just spoken there the night before and we were, Fran and I were waking up in a hotel. My oldest son called me and he said, Dad, don't you know what's going on? Because he couldn't believe I hadn't called him. And I said, well, what's going on? He said, you're on the front page of the Free Press. I said, on the front page of the Free Press, I didn't give a, I, I didn't give an interview. No, no, he said, you're not just on the front page of the Free Press, you are the front page of the Free Press. I said, for what? I didn't do anything. He said, Dad, they got a color photo of you on the front page of the Free Press. It's the whole page. And I, I was, it was incredulous. Now, sidebar, it was a good photo. <laughs> it really was. I had a nice blue jacket on that day. I wasn't like this. And uh, I was at my best. I was, you know, just I, yeah, they, they took one of the better ones. and So I kept it. Uh, but the point is, they went on the attack because the provincial government was trying to pass uh, some legislation they were trying to ram through that they, you know, how they were going to change the uh, the teaching of family values in and schools. And, they, and for some reason, they thought a church 45 minutes away from Winnipeg was a threat to that. And so they went on the attack. And for two weeks, the free press was full of that uh, kind of stuff. And uh, uh, just a few years ago, uh, Steinbeck had its first gay pride parade. Steinbeck, yes, now, you say, wow, what's happening to Steinbeck? Oh, it wasn't Steinbeck. Winnipeg Pride put it on for Steinbach. It wasn't that gracious of them um, <laughs> to do it for us. And the highway coming off the Trans-Canada into Steinbach was packed with vehicles. They had thousands of people come out. You know what our prime minister did? He wrote a letter to be read at that Pride Parade. And he sent his lieutenants, his provincial lieutenants, to be right at the front of the parade because they're going to ram it down our throats. My point is, there's militancy coming. And do you know there were a few, there wasn't many, but there was a little handful of people that left our church during that time. It was getting too hot to stand for Christ. And we are, you have to understand, we're nice people in, in our church. Like we're not militant, we're not yelling, we're not ranting, raving, lunatics over there causing grief. We're nice, can't you tell?
3: <laughs>
2: we're Canadian. <laughs> like what else can I say? Um, and yet, uh, that's what's coming. I said to one pastor of large Church in, in Vancouver, I said, we're the canary in the, coal, in the mine. He said, I can't believe it that you're facing that. He's right downtown, Alberni, Alberni Street. Big church, thousands, same, same size as ours. And uh, he said, we never face that. No, I said, but we're already facing it. And I said, it's just a matter of time before you're going to face it. And here's my point. Are we preparing are people to stand. Do they know what the issues are? But more importantly, do they, know, do they have such kind of a relationship with Jesus Christ that when the pressure, when push comes to shove, they'll stand and not fall away? Because you say, well, it, you know, it's not going to happen. Are you kidding me? Jesus said that during that time of persecution, Matthew 24, he said, and I quote, many will fall away from the faith. It's true. Is it true? Absolutely. So the question is, are our people, particularly the next generation or generations in our church, have, have they grown a relationship with Jesus Christ that is so strong that no matter what they face and no matter if they're going to lose their professions and jobs, and by the way, uh, we... We have doctors and nurses, a whole bunch of them in our church, and teachers and stuff, just like you do. And um, they, they've been, for, for a number of years, they've been coming to us, and they're very worried. We were passing laws in Manitoba that you don't even have here in Ontario yet to protect our me- the medical people. And uh, one, of the, one of the lawyer-trained MLA's who became our minister of education, he, um, uh, Calvin Gertzen, he's a member in our church, and he helped pass laws. He initiated laws to help protect conscience rights for medical workers and that kind of stuff. They're coming to us. These are real issues we're talking about. This isn't some kind of, it might happen. No, no, no. We're facing this. And the question is, are our people prepared? And have we prepared them be able to stand during that time. I have another question here. I mean, you remember the summer grants, summer jobs grants, and all of that kind of stuff? That's a trial balloon. That's all that is. The government was seeing what would happen. Don't kid yourself. It's coming back. It's coming back. What if they start to apply those kinds of tests to other things? Never mind summer jobs. But uh, to anything else that the government is involved in, what if it, uh, you know, what if one day we were to lose our buildings? Is that possible in Canada? Yes, it is. Now, you, you look at our, our campus. It's huge. The church campus, huge. Every time I led the board to um, Make a decision whether we're going to build the next phase. I would ask this question I said, We've been listening in prayer, letting the Holy Spirit guide. Are we? I, I want to ask one more question. If we knew we we're going to lose this in 10 years, are we still going ahead? That's how we think, that's how we're operating. And uh, you say, Are you a pessimist? No, I read the last chapter. <laughs> I saw a new heaven, well, the second last heaven, I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down out of heaven. Is it true? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean there's not going to be a cross that we're going to have to bear before we get to the crown. And the question is, are our people going with us, or are we going to lose them along the way? And that's Vitally important to us. You know, my, my wife and I come from background. We're Meno, you know, Our Mennonite culture. Um, you may have guessed that uh, by now. But um, we, we come f- from Russia and our people, they were chased across Europe uh, from persecution. They finally made a deal with, the, uh, with uh, Catherine the Great to farm their land if they didn't have to fight wars. They, they, were, they were pacifists. But many of them lost their lives, or they lost everything they had in order to escape. That's only a couple of generations ago. We got got long memories. And And our parents and grandparents have warned us for decades that we could lose it again. And we could. All right, I said way more on that. Uh, than I ever intended to. I'm not sure why it did. Um, but it's, it's that important. I'm, I'm really stressing, we, the church needs to be renewed. There's no question. Um, anyway, how, how do you renew a church? <laughs> That's the next question we go. So if, if we know that we've got to renew it, then how do we do it? Well, I'll begin by telling you how I tried to renew the church. And how it failed. So throughout, if you want it, you can laugh. Um, don't take notes on how not to do it. <laughs> just shake your head in disbelief and say, "Yeah, poor guy." Anyway, we uh, we were uh, we planted the church in Woodstock, and uh, there was just a, a very very tiny handful that we planted the church with, and. Uh, and when we uh, we planted, we started leading uh, uh, some people to the Lord through connections, through our people. And then I'd go see them, and we'd lead them to Christ. There was quite a number of French Canadians uh, included in that mix. There were others, too. And we'd have a Bible study in the middle of the week. And uh, those were great Bible studies. You know, new converts are, are fun, aren't they? <laughs> oh, yeah, they're fun. Uh, what a breath of fresh air. And uh, so we'd have we'd meet uh, we'd meet uh, in one of their dining rooms the table would be full chairs and i'd give them brand new bibles and i'd say turn to such and such passage and they say because they were all smokers what uh, what what page is that on pastor <laughs> and i say, oh yeah right 1169 and then they turn to page 100 uh, 1169 and uh they were. They loved Jesus. They loved the word. They were hungry for him. They were passionate. And the whole time they'd be smoking and blowing smoke in my face. And I'd go home and Fran was looking after the little kids. And she, she would say, honey, how did it go? And I'd say, it was a fantastic time. It was amazing. But I said, I'm sick to my stomach uh, from the smoke. But I didn't care. I was the happiest person on the planet. In fact, I'm going to see Jesus a little earlier than some of you (laughs) because of the secondhand smoke. But that's okay. I win. But anyway, after a a little while, a few of them, you know, they stopped some of their different kinds of habits and their language and their attitudes and even their dress and, you know, a few things here and there. I'm not talking about legalism here, but uh, just, you know, some of the outer things started to change. But you know what I noticed at the same time? That as they were changing some of the outer things, they were also cooling off on the inside. And they were so hot for Jesus. Oh, they loved him, and they loved the word, and they were passionate to learn. You couldn't, get them, you couldn't give them enough or stay long enough. And now they were going to church, and they were bringing their kids. We were meeting in a YMCA. And they'd bring their kids, and they were going to Sunday school. And, uh, it, like, it was amazing. And, uh, but I was starting to get concerned because the, the passion was gone. They just weren't hot like they were before. And I thought, Jesus, is this, as, is this how the Christian life is supposed to be? Like, are you just supposed to be hot for three months or six months or a year, and after that it wears off and you grow up? I mean, sometimes we think that that's a sign of maturity. Really? I don't think it is. And... uh And so I was was praying a lot. I was praying up and down the streets uh, around Pittark Dam, down the railway tracks. I would pray, oh God, God, we've lost something. What's wrong? What is the matter? Why are they becoming like us? (laughs) And uh, all at once, one day as I was praying, this word just seemed to stick there. And it was the word revival. It's the old word revival. Ah. I thought in my prayer time, that's it. That is it. We just need revival. So I went I gathered four other pastors from Woodstock, sat down with them. I looked at one. I said, does your church need revival? He shrugged his shoulder and he said, I guess so. (laughs) So I went, good, that's one. (laughs) I looked at the next one. Does your church need a revival? Yeah, okay. The next one, yes, yes. And me. you got to picture this. Five pastors sitting in a room in a circle all agree that they need revival in their churches. But you have to picture this. Five pastors sitting in a room in a circle all not knowing what to do next. We're scratching our heads. But how do you have revival? Nobody taught us that in Bible college. Hmm. And we're scratching our heads, and all of a sudden, another thought comes. Are you familiar with those thoughts that occasionally come? Have you ever said, thank you, Lord, because you knew they weren't your thoughts? Because you and I aren't actually smart enough for that. Is it true? Yeah, yeah I'm not. And so I went, oh, that's it. And the thought was a name. And the name was Satera Twins. Now, you have to understand, uh, those were twin revivalists. I never met them. I'd never met them. I'd never attended any of their services, uh, any of their meetings, anything like that. But my mother-in-law had been transformed at a meeting. Now, we were gone for many, many years. And we weren't there when it happened. But she attended at the end of the meeting. In fact, she didn't even go to the meetings. And at the end of the meeting, she met with workers from the meetings. And she dealt with some forgiveness issues. And she had severe eating disorders. Severe. I mean, we're talking after every meal to the washroom kind of disorder. We're talking about emotional and mental issues that in in and out of an institution for a number of years. And after that session, after a satiratwin session, meeting, she was transformed, and she became the lovely, amazing mother-in-law that, she, that all, our grand, all her grandkids came to know her as, and her kids too. She was absolutely amazing, and was like that for decades, never changed again. I was sitting there, and I'm going, that's what we need. So I told them about this, and they said, okay, let's do it. So we invited them. They flew in. And we had meetings for 14 nights straight. We sent our people, they sent their people to another church because we were in the YMCA. And our people would go forward at the end of the meetings and they would strum their guitars and they would have us confess things and kneel at the front and and all kinds of things. And I didn't fully understand it all. I mean, I did, but I, I didn't understand the principles behind it all. I was just observing it, and I couldn't believe what was happening to our people. Even the worst reprobate in our church on the last night ended up at the front on his knees. And I went, this is amazing. This is amazing. Next morning, it was Sunday. I came ready to preach. Oh, I should ask if there's any testimony. So one got up, testified. Another one got up. Another one got up. A few few tears coming down their face. And I went, "This is the real thing. This is revival. You know, once I looked at the time it afternoon. and it was after noon. And it's quarter after. We were renting. We had to be out. Huh, I took my message. I didn't even have to preach. I could save it for next week. And I put it in my back pocket. Those of you who are pastors. You know how, how that works. You can appreciate that. And I dismissed it. And I thought to myself, I've got to be one of the best pastors there is in Canada. (laughs) Because I know how to have revival. It's easy. You just hire the Soteras, They come in. And they preach for 14 nights. you got revival. And you pay them. And they go. And your church is fine. I could write a whole book on it. A whole page. (laughs) Hire the Soteras. They had done their job. Problem is that somewhere between four to six months, I don't know the exact timeline, but somewhere in that neighborhood, I began to notice we were just like we were before. That really upset me. And I went back to prayer. I was marching up and down the streets around Piddock Dam, down the railway tracks, and I was crying out to the Lord. I said, what is the matter? I don't get it. And he said, you're right, Ray, you don't get it. I said, but Lord, I want to get it. I said, why is it, Lord? You give me some new converts, they spend enough time with me, and they die out. You know, they're passionate, and they finally they die out. They're dead. So I hand them to the Stair Twins for 14 nights, and they're hot for Jesus. The Sterra Twins give them back to me And four to six months later, they're right back where they were. Anybody have any idea what the common denominator in all this is? Me. I said, Lord, but I want to know. Show me. Teach me. What is it? And that's when the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. You can't just import this. Yes, it's fine to use people like that. They had done their job. Did they do their job? (laughs) Absolutely they did their job. But they assumed that when they gave it back to this young pastor here, he knew what he was doing with it. And the truth was, he didn't have a clue. And so I said, uh, and that's when the Spirit was speaking to me, you can't just import this thing. You've got to make it part of the very DNA of the church. Those principles that renew a church are the very things that should be at the heart of a church all along. And if you need a jump start with revivalists, that's fine. But somewhere you've got to get it in there so it stays. But not only does it stay, it grows. You see, a lot of people... Uh, do you ever hear people talk about, they've heard about a visitation here or there, or, you know, and people get on planes to go and see a visitation there and a visitation there? Can I say something? God is not interested in visiting your church or mine. He actually owns the thing. That's what Acts said. Jesus bought the church, he owns it. He doesn't want to come for a visit. He wants to come and dwell there. He wants a habitation, not a visitation. I'm never impressed anymore when people talk about a visitation here or there. I say, yeah, I know all about that. Been there, done that. But I don't want a visitation in a church. I want a habitation and one that is growing. So Southland never says it's been renewed it says it is being renewed. It's growing in renewal. And I don't mean growing like this in renewal. It's growing in renewal. That's, that's how our walk should be. Isn't it, isn't it true? Ephesians actually says that. It says, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a What? A dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Ha! Now, I want to ask you something. If that characterizes our church, do you think that it just might answer some of the objections of those kids that were exiting the church? We don't get to experience God or the church is dead or, or something like that. If, 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 God, if we meet conditions and God comes there and he dwells and they, can, and they can see him at work, do you think maybe we'll just keep our young people? Anybody? I think so. And I know so from experience. I know it from the failure side and I know it from, from experiencing the other side. And uh, so I, I'm going I'm to fast forward because of time, and I'm going to pick up in, at Southland because there are a bunch of renewal pra- uh, practices. Well, they're principles, but they have to go into practice. You see, it's not our beliefs that have to change, it's our practices that have to be begun. See, we, we have fought for orthodoxy for many years. Is that good or not? Is it good to fight for orthodoxy? Correct belief and doctrine. Absolutely. Will we have to continue to fight for orthodoxy till the day we die? Absolutely. The Apostle Paul, the apostles in the early church, they were fighting for correct doctrine all the time. However, we need a new fight in evangelicalism today. And you know what it is? Orthopraxy. We have lost the practices of our ancient faith. So we believe all kinds of things and we practice few of them. That is the difference between experiencing God and not experiencing God. You can say you believe that you can have a relationship with God, but unless you're hearing His voice and having communication with Him, you don't you are not knowing him in the sense that the scripture is talking about. And the kids don't experience him. Uh, We can say that Jesus, if I say Jesus is functional Lord in the church, do you you believe that? How many of you believe that Jesus is functional Lord in the church? Anybody? (laughs) Jesus is Lord, we say. Is that true? But let me ask you this question. When is the last time that you as a board sat down and listened in prayer about a decision that needed to be made and he spoke to the entire group and a decision was made. When's the last time you did that with a staff? When's the last time you did it as a pastor? When's the last time you did it as a parent or a, uh, you know, as a married couple? We can say we believe these things, but until that's orthodoxy. But until we practice them, which is orthopraxy, we don't actually believe them. Mm-hmm. Is that true? <laughs> yes. That's why 60%, according to the hemorrhaging report, are walking out on the church. Okay? So let me give you, I just threw out a couple. Okay? Let, let me pick up another one, and I'm going to pick up on a story uh, in, in, the, in the second church now. I'm, I'm going to switch to that one. Southland Church, when I started there, it was a church of 150, and the church had just experienced three church splits in five years. Does that sound normal? If it does, (laughs) that's not good. It it had a terrible reputation. It was an awful church. In fact, when the Lord said, that's a church for you, I, I said, well, no, Lord, I was thinking of Salmon Arm or calgary again because we had also been there not just Woodstock, but uh, and he said no ray that that's a church for you i said lord if you would if you would give that church to so-and-so that would be good for them you give me a good one and then i'll show you what i can do isn't that how we feel he said, no, Ray, I think that's the right church for you. The, the one there with 150 there and the three church splits, that's perfect for you. And uh, so that's the one we started with. And in 19, that was 1996 in January. And do you know what's the first thing? He told me to do three things that year. And I won't, uh, for the sake of time, I can't tell you what the other two are. I'm just going to have to pick one here because I'm illustrating orthodoxy and orthopraxy and taking one of those practices and what it does in the church. So he said, I want you to start a corporate prayer meeting in the church. I said, Lord, as I was praying, I said, Lord, I can't start a prayer meeting in the church. The, this church doesn't believe in prayer. I, I told the Lord that. In fact, the the one positive about the, the church there, Southland, is that, um, it, um, uh, it, it it wasn't hypocritical. We, we didn't even make a pretense of believing in prayer. We didn't even have a prayer meeting scheduled. Do you know what I mean? It was there wasn't even one in the bulletin. If you know what I mean. And so I said, "They're not into prayer, Lord." I, I said, "How about you know just me and you? I like to pray, and I'll listen." And no, he said, "I want you to start a prayer meeting." I said, "Okay." They won't come in the evening if I start one. Not one person will show up. So I said, Lord, you've got to give me a strategy. And he gave me a strategy. Cancel adult Bible study. They got, uh, uh, or yeah, Bible, uh, or Sunday school, as we called it in those days. Cancel that one. They're going to drop the kids off. And then you've got a captive audience. Oh, I thought, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And uh, so we called, it, we called it Operation Prayer. Isn't that a heady name? That's pretty heady stuff, eh? Well, they dropped their kids off, but I hadn't counted on the coffee shop. So they didn't all stay. But maybe 10 stayed. And so we split them into two. I taught for 40 minutes, and for five minutes we prayed. We had one group that prayed. Uh, they, could, they could go for three minutes. But the spiritual group could stretch it out to five they were an amazing group. <laughs> After seven months of this, I was so disillusioned with the whole thing. In June, I was glad because all the programs were coming to a close in the church. Are you pastors ever glad when that happens? <laughs> That's about now in your calendar, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I was glad because it meant that the prayer meeting was shutting down, and I went to prayer at midnight and I said to the Lord. Lord, it doesn't work. They don't pray. I told you that. And do you know what? The Lord was so merciful He and so gracious and so kind. Do you know what he did? There, I, can't, I can't explain. It was just like this light shone into my heart. Has that, that happened to you? Where suddenly this hope just fills you? And then he whispered it into my spirit ear. He said, Ray, don't quit now. The answer is around, just around the corner. And with that, I was so hope-filled. I was at peace, and I went to sleep. And next morning, I woke up, and I looked around the corner. Because he said the answer was just around the corner, but it wasn't, I didn't see an answer. And the next day, I looked around another corner, and there was no answer. And then, at the same time, my wife reported, you know, honey, it's getting, uh, this leaking is getting worse. In April, her birthday, uh, she had said to me at, at a birthday uh, lunch that we had together, she said, I'm, I'm sniffling a lot, which if you're from Manitoba, you would understand, and, uh, but it got worse, than we thought it was allergies, but the allergy season was kind of past, and it was just getting worse. And finally, she could take a cup, and on command, she could just tip her head like this, and she would fill the cup on command with that much clear liquid. Well, that was abnormal. So we had a test at a, at a lab, and immediately contact her. and said, this is an emergency. There's a breach to your brain. That's cerebral spinal fluid coming out through the sinuses and out your nose. And you, uh, you are in danger of of dying if, if this isn't dealt with. So they, um, she had her she had a neurosurgery and they cut her from one ear to the other and pulled down the face, and they went in. They saw the fluid coming, um, and they, but they couldn't find the breach, and so they finally just stuffed as much stuff fascia and stuff in there as they could, stapled up seventy some staples later, and the next day it was a complete. It was a failure. And uh, I saw it right away, called the medical staff in the ICU, and it was a failure. So she healed up and then they enough and then they performed a second surgery and that one failed. And they sent us to Philadelphia for two weeks. And they found the breach at the brain stem and they plugged it, and um, and then three months later that one failed. And in all she had ten of them. And During that time, two of our teens became very, very angry. Like, really angry. Now, they're all walking with the Lord. One of them is now a pastor on staff, so on and so forth. Um, They became very angry at God. They said, our parents left a career and lived for you, and now you won't even help them. And, you know, they're teenagers. They're immature, right? And they walked away from him. I'm, I'm talking about Bad, walked away, occultism and the the whole whole bit, drugs, the whole bit. And so I, I you know I kept reviewing. I said, okay, so we got this church that's a mess, split three times. It won't pray. Lord tells me in prayer the answer's right around the corner. When I look around the corner, I just got more messes. Now it's my wife, and now it's my now it's my teens. Everything's going south. Those were really difficult years. Uh, some, some days were so hard to go into the pulpit uh, because you're supposed to encourage the people. I would say, God, you've got to encourage me because they need to be encouraged. And, uh, and, but do you know what he was doing? I didn't realize these events were linked. I didn't realize that that was the answer to this. Because during that time, even though the prayer meeting, the operation prayer meeting, see, we're just talking about one principle, one practice right now. Just one for renewal. I didn't realize that uh, I I couldn't get them praying. But even though I couldn't get them praying there, the Holy Spirit had already directed me to start another thing. You know what it was called? Pastors' Prayer Partners. And uh, as the one thing that wasn't working wasn't enough, I started another prayer thing. And now I had some pastor's prayer partners that were starting to pray. And so she'd been, she spent many months in ICU and me with her uh, over, the, over those years. And uh, sometimes the crisis in the ICU with her was so bad, the medical staff would s- stand around the bed and not know what to do next. I said, we we just don't know what to do." I remember one time they came out of a surgery, and the surgeon said, "I don't know what to do. Her the the pieces there are like eggshells. I don't know how to put this together." And um, that's how it was. So I would I would sometimes I would go into the lobby of our the church I was pastoring there at 10 o'clock in the evening. Nobody was there. I would lay prostrate. I would fast and pray, and I would lay prostrate on the floor, crying out and begging God to heal my wife. But he wouldn't heal her. But, you know, every time there was a new crisis, we'd go to the prayer partners, whether it was in the family or with her, and they would pray, and something would change immediately. And then they'd go, Oh, we pray, and this happens. Then it'd be another crisis, We pray, and then this happens. And then we pray, and then this happens. You see, if if she had had, we always think the miracle is the big thing. No, 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 no. If she had had a miracle, we wouldn't even be talking today. We would have forgotten. Everybody would have forgotten. God was trying to answer my plea over here, and he knew he had to string it out in order for that to work. And slowly, the people began to put two and two together. They began to pray. And they saw us continue to walk and persevere in the middle of it. Right? Do you know what was happening at the exact same time? My best friend, who was also a commercial pilot, he was also a helicopter pilot, he was in the church, he got cancer at age 40. Fit like you can't believe it. Not like me. He was, like, really fit. The guy gets cancer. We're in the hospital at the same time from the same church. I would go visit him in the hospital. She would go and visit Fran. Same hospital, same time. Here's the difference. He died, and I buried my best friend. She lived. But guess what? Out of that, after it was finished, she would walk up and down the runway, and she would beg God for her husband's... Life. And three days before he died, she said the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, Don't pray for Reg anymore. I'm taking him home. She quit praying and he went home to be with Christ. And after he left, she was sitting on the floor beside her bed and she said, Lord, I fell in love with prayer and now I don't know what to do. I have nothing to pray for. Oh, she didn't mean there's nothing to pray for. She had three kids. The focus, where was the focus? What was she going to do next? I don't know what to do. You know what the Holy Spirit told her to do? Phone Ray. He will tell you what to do. Now, I didn't know this was going on. She phoned me and said, is there some way I can help in the church? And I said, yes, there is. What? I said, I got a pastor's prayer partner thing, and I need you in there. I had no idea that, how she had fallen in love with prayer. She became... The head, by 1999, she became the head of the prayer partners. By 2004, I hired her as pastor of prayer. I think the first one in Canada. And she has trained over 300 intercessors and prophetic kind of people in the church. She is powerful in prayer. Now, what's the point of the story? I'm taking only one principle that has to do with renewal. Just one turning it into a practice, demonstrating a practice, but I'm also showing you two two other parts to this. The first is this. Pastors, (laughs) there has to be a holy discontent within us that says this isn't good enough. Status quo won't cut it. There has to be something in us that gets disillusioned and upset that our churches aren't where they need to be. Is that true? There should be a holy discontent, and if there isn't, then we've got to pray for one. That's your first prayer request in your prayer life. Is that true? The second thing is, we've got to become desperate in prayer. Desperate. Absolutely desperate. And willing to pay the price. It's going to cost us something. No, I don't want you to get out of this, oh, shoot, if I do this, then I'm going to lose my wife or whatever. No, no, not necessarily. But it's going to cost you something. These, these. We're not talking about a plug-and-play program here. We're talking about changing the DNA of the church. And to change the DNA... It's going to cost you something in your life. Because part of the reason it's going to cost you something is because there's an enemy out there. Did you know that? You know that. Here's what I want to say. He doesn't, the devil doesn't mind your church. Did you know that? He doesn't mind it if you pastor. He doesn't even mind that your people go to church on Sunday. He doesn't mind any of that as long as you don't change people. As long as you don't change them. Don't mess with their hearts. Don't renew them. Just let them get cool off and get dead. Is that true? Yeah. That's cool because then he can say to his minions, don't bother with them. They've got it all under control. Let's go over here. Is that true? If you're going to renew your church, it's going to cost you something. You, he's go, he's go, you, you're going to have a target painted on your back. He's coming after you. Now, sometimes when he comes after you, it'll look like people. <laughs> <laughs> you might have a devil in your church. You know what I mean? I've had the odd one. Anyway, um, what we're talking about here in Church Renewal, when we're talking like this, we're not talking about something new. Did you know that? This isn't the latest program. This isn't about a program. I'm tired of programs. Do you know what, do you know what God said through the prophet Jeremiah? Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good ways are and walk in them. The problem with the church is we've lost, we've walked away from the ancient paths. We're walking on other paths. Is that true? We have. It's not the stuff that, it, it's, it's not new stuff, it's stuff that we're not doing. You know, like confessing sin. Here, there's another one. I've, I've, I've named a whole bunch. Jesus is functional Lord. I've mentioned prayer, hearing God. Here's another one, confession of sin. I was sitting with some pastors of large churches in Western Canada in a boardroom, a large church in, in, uh, in, in Alberta, one of the largest. And uh, almost this thought came to me. There was eight of us. And uh, I said to these pastors, I said, what are you doing about sin in your church? And by the way, when I asked that question, I was putting nobody on the spot. I'm coming from small town, Manitoba. You know, that doesn't even show up on the Canadian map. You know what I mean? Though we are on the walk at Canada Place in Vancouver. (laughs) Is that amazing? Um, What did I I just say? I was so enamored with that. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, David. So I said to these pastors, I'm 64. That's my excuse. It's also a reason. (laughs) So I said to these pastors, what are you doing about sin in your churches? And it got quiet, and there was a nervous ripple of laughter, and they changed the subject. Now, you have to understand, it was an innocent question. Because I thought I'd come there, and I was going to learn from them on Maybe there's a, something they're doing that we could adopt for our church that would be helpful. And they changed the subjects. And, 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 and something rose up inside of me. And all of a sudden, I put my hand firmly on the board table like this to get their attention. And John Bergen was there. He was chairing the meeting. And I said, I asked a serious question. I said, in our church... Every sin named in the Bible is represented in our church. And most of them are well represented in our church. And I said, if that is true in small town, Steinbeck, I know it's true in your city churches. So I said, I'm asking you a serious question. I'm asking because I thought maybe you could help me. What are you doing about sin in your church? and it was completely quiet, and I had my answer. The answer was nothing. Do you see what I'm saying? Do we believe that, John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins, cleanse us from all righteous, do we, do we believe that as evangelicals? Of course we do. But when I ask the question, do we do it? Yikes. It gets quiet in the room. And we have to go back to the ancient paths. Isn't that true? So I, I just used a couple of these things to illustrate. We don't have time to go through all this um, because that's what church renewal is all about. And it takes a lot of work to put these, these elements into the church and get them going. And that's what we're all about. So let me talk about church renewal ministry itself. In, uh, and on December the... Uh, December the 4th, 2008, John Bergen called me from Kelowna and he said, uh, and he had been flying out uh, to our church a few times and, and uh, him and his family, and uh, he was the uh, director for Willow for 17 years, and he said, Ray, I, I really think that you should start a ministry to the Canadian church, and I said, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that, this church of, uh, it's now about 4,500, 5,000 people. I said, it's, it's it's too big, too much. And I, I can't do that. But over the next three years, the Holy Spirit was working in me and said, I want you to help others. You receive something. I've taught you some things. You've learned from others. I want you to give it away. See, because it's not me. I don't, I didn't, I didn't come up with this. The ancient paths, is that an invention of Ray Dirksen? Did I come up with prayer? Did I come up with confession? Did I come up with hearing Jesus? Did I come up with Jesus is Lord, functional Lord in our lives? Did I come up with being filled with the Holy Spirit? Did I come up with the gifts of the Spirit? None. Those are just ancient paths. That's all it is. It's as old-fashioned as it gets and life-giving as it gets. and uh, But we were putting them into practice. And he said, I, I want you to help the Canadian church. So we announced it in November 2011. And it took another full year until we had uh, I had my first two pastors that I was mentioned: One out of Kelowna, one out of Chilliwack. One Phil Collins and one uh, Sean Van Dopp. That was November 2012. They're still in church renewal. Um, And uh, they are now coaches in uh, in church renewal as well. And then we got more and more pastors. Today we're uh, mentoring uh, over 700 uh, pastors across Canada and then other countries. But we'll get to that. The mission of church renewal is simple. Equipping pastors to renew their churches and equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. See... We, we are still suffering from a hangover from hundreds of years ago in which uh, the clergy-laity divide came in. And now I know as evangelicals we all say, oh, we know better than that now. We believe that there, uh, there shouldn't be this big divide. We don't just feed and they receive. You know, we feed, they get fed. We believe that. But in practice, back to orthopraxy, that gulf hasn't been bridged much yet in truth it's still the pastors that are exhausted because the the saints haven't really been equipped to do the work of the ministry there's a big difference between going to a conference and learning about volunteerism we got we got over 2000 just volunteers there's a big difference between volunteers and ministers is that true? Oh, that's a whole different. Ministering the things of the gospel are very different than volunteers. Volunteers can be somebody standing at the door. A greeting. Is it necessary? Yes. Is it good? Is it outstanding? Yes. Is it great to be in a choir on the worship team? Is it all these things? Yes, yes, and yes but then we've still fallen woefully short of getting to ministering these things, where they can actually not only lead people to Christ, but they can actually disciple them in these practices in a very practical way. They can set them free. Do you think being set free is important? Yeah, it's huge. How many people in our churches know how to lead somebody else to be set free? They don't know how. So we need Tools, simple tools for the saints to learn, not complex manuals this thick. And we need systems and we need strategies so that we can multiply it. And if we ever lose the institutional church, and we just might, that the church goes on, amen, because the saints have been equipped in systematically, um, in in ways that'll happen. So, what are uh, four areas that we address? The first area that we address uh, is there's four key categories. This is a uh, this is an example of what we do. We mentor pastors. That's how we equip them. Once uh, uh, we have a thirty a thirty or thirty two week mentoring season every calendar year. We just finished last week. Again, this is level one. This uh, I wrote, and it's 300 and some pages. And, uh, and level two has another 300 and some, 28 lessons in each. Level three is about halfway through right now. You say, that much stuff? Yeah, this is for pastors. And it's holistic. Because if you're going to renew a church, it isn't just one thing. There's lots of ministries out there that are doing some good things, and they stress just prayer, or they stress Listening prayer, or they stress inner healing, or they just uh, they they stress deliverance, or it's worship, or it's evangelism, or it's discipleship. It's, I mean, I counted 20 some things like that that different ministries stress. Are they good? Help me, yes, absolutely. But if we're going to renew a church, we have to be holistic. Is that true? You can't just You can't just hit one slice and think that's going to renew. You know, okay, we're just going to be about prayer, but we'll never confess sin. Would that work? No. They're integrated. They're integrated. And so the whole thing becomes comprehensive. Even our structure, our governance structures have to be renewed along the way. Because sometimes our governance structures are so complex, we can't get anything done. Is that true? Jesus said something like that. I know he was talking about Judaism and and uh, and that stuff. When he said, you know, you can't pour, uh, pour new wine into old wine skins, otherwise you're going to burst the thing, and the wine's going to be lost. And you're going to try to renew your church, and lots of people are gonna start uh, come come flowing into your church, and then you get these antiquated structures. Do you know when we started at Southland, we had five decision-making bodies. We had a we had a board of trustees, board of elders, a council. Uh, the ministry heads and the congregation—all of them—making decisions, and we were 150 with kids, and I think that included pregnant women. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, we have to—it's got to it, it's be the whole thing. We've got to renew the the church, so it's it's comprehensive. That's why there's four causes, four chief category uh, reasons why pastors. Burn out and or fail, and by fail I don't mean they burned out and and quit the ministry and stuff. Though it would include that. But when I talk about the, my Woodstock experience, and and I talk about the renewal thing, and I was trying to do the renewal thing, that would be an example of a failure. Do you see what I'm saying? That was an experience. That was my experience of failure, because I didn't know how to do it. I couldn't keep it after the. Soteros were gone. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about. Four categories. Here's the first one. We have a whole series of lessons. Half of this thing is lessons on abiding in Christ. Do you know why? Because pastors are burning out because they're shriveling up and dying. People in our churches are shriveling up in their spirits. Do you know why? Jesus, Isn't that weird? Because Jesus said he came to give What? And to the so then why are we, then why are we shriveling up? If he came to give that, then why are we shriveling up? The reason is, because that was in John 10, John 15 says, "I am the vine. You are the branches. If anybody remains or abides in me, right? then he'll have life. Then he'll bear much fruit. But he says, "Apart from me, you can't, you can't do nothing." The reason we're shriveling up and dying and can't take one step ahead of the next and can't persevere is because we're not abiding. So half of it's on that. How do you do that? How do you hear his voice? How do you journal? How do you walk with him? Uh, All those kinds of things. You know what's the second reason that pastors burn out and or fail? This is not a criticism. uh, I've been using myself as an example. Is that true? yes. 30 years of ministry. I, I, I've lived this. I've walked this, life, this road. Character. The second group is character. Now, I want to I ask you a question. Do any of you have characters in your church? Anybody have a character in their church that you'd like to pass on to your friend? That's what you go to conferences for and say, I got this guy. I'd love to send him to your church to help you. Uh, do, you have, do you ever do that? Um, yeah, we all have characters. And uh, my, oh my. And some of them are destructive. I could tell you stories, but it'd be nothing new to you. You've got your own uh, horror stories. But you know what's worse than a character in your church? When the pastor is missing some character in his life. Do you know why? And by the way, do all of us have character issues? Yes or no? (laughs) There isn't one of us here who doesn't have a character issue. And if you're not sure, I'll give you a moment right now. Ask your spouse. (laughs) (laughs) they will be happy to share with you. Is that true? (laughs) That's why I'm not going to do this exercise. My wife is here. I don't want to ask her. we all have to. But do you know what's the problem? A character in your church can cause a lot of problems. A person in your church who has severe character issues can cause you a lot of problems in your church. Is that true? I had them in Woodstock. I had them in, in, at Southland. No question. But do you know who can cause more trouble in your church than anybody else in your church with a character flaw? A pastor with a character <laughs> flaw. Why? Not because the character flaw is bigger, but because it's magnified in his position. See, if you have somebody in your church who has a character flaw about being defensive, that can cause trouble in the church. Is it true? <laughs> but if the pastor is defensive, I was, oh, now you're going to cause even more trouble. The problem you had, now you've got two problems. And if it's a pastor, you got, so we have a whole set of lessons because the scriptures tell us we're supposed to grow in our sanctification. That's just another word for it. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. it's not something that just happens to us. We're told to do it. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, uh, uh, gentleness and humility and patience and that kind of stuff. We're supposed to, it's an imperative, Paul said, right? So that's a second set of lessons. Because we can't renew our churches if we as pastors are not being renewed. Is that right? So I'm not here to tell you you're bad and I'm good. No, 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 no. I'm working on stuff. I was working on stuff on my walk down to the falls today. I have to do it. I have to grow. We all do. Here's a third one. Pastors don't know exactly what to do. When I went to Woodstock, I'll never forget, I went to Bible college I get to Woodstock. I remember a conscious moment getting there and saying, "Now, now, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, now I'm going to plant a church. Now, what? What's next?" I looked around. Oh, the other churches had a service at 11 o'clock. I guess I'll have a service at 11 o'clock. Oh, they had a Bible study a night in prayer. Oh, then I better have a Bible study a night in prayer. I thought that was what ministry was. So we don't know the print. See, and then there's, you know, I, I tell you the story about this territory, and then I, I, I didn't even know what it was exactly that they were doing. So when they left, everything just was like it was before again because I didn't know what to do. So we have a whole series of implement steps that we teach in level 2 and 3 and so on and so forth. And then the fourth category is this. Even if a pastor knows what to do, even if he's growing in his walk with Christ and is growing in character, here's, this, here's the last problem we have. How do you navigate such a complex organism or organization like the church, the institutional church today? When you're dealing, you're walking between boards, staff, congregation, denominations, and you're supposed to lead all this and navigate through that and be an amazing politician getting through that. How do you do that? Because it's one thing to know what to do. It's another thing to know how in the world to get through that. You pastors that have pastored for a long time, you know exactly what I'm saying. Isn't it true? It's not easy. So we address that in lessons called Lead Wells. Anyway... Um, God's doing some neat things. I, you say, "What's the next step?" This is easy. This was the first step. First step was just come in here a little bit. Just, uh, but I don't. I didn't come here to sell you on anything. Nothing. I just wanted to see if you resonated with what I, the way I feel and the way I think. Many of you seem to resonate with that. Here's what I would sell you on. One thing. A taste test. A taste test. Don't believe anything I said except believe me enough to taste. By coming out to Steinbach, it's a destination point. In the sense that the railway ends there and there is no further to go. It's the end of the world. It truly is. Uh, You won't even... yeah. Anyway, uh, come there, three times a year, we conduct what we call a church renewal weekend. Uh, at the, uh, last weekend in May, last weekend in October, that's the next one, and last weekend in January. We just ran our 19th one last weekend. Over 400 delegates, that's the maximum we can handle. Flew in from 16 different countries, uh, this time we had, uh, we've had delegates fly in now in the last four years from uh, 38 or 39 different countries now. Uh, Singapore, Nepal, Costa Rica were the last uh, three new ones. And, of course, Brazil and Colombia and Argentina and Spain and Iceland and on and on and on, Uganda and stuff. Um, so come and taste it. Now, on a weekend, these are the components of a weekend. How you get to taste it. You remember, I talked about confession. I talked about, uh, you know, I just touched on, you know, emotional wholeness and healing or inner healing, whatever you want to call it or something. We have a retreat that I wrote years ago called the Set Free Retreat. So we conduct that three times a year for our own church. You would just be joining what our church is already doing, and it goes from Friday night to Saturday night. It's very intensive. And and the joy is you get to confess your sins. Is that amazing? Huh? Doesn't that sound like fun? The first time that we ever did that, I had uh, somebody, uh, a woman in our church, a member. She walked up to me. I'll never forget her, her name is Adeline, and she said, "Pastor A, you said this was going to be a retreat. This was anything but a retreat. This was really hard." I said, "I know, but you wouldn't have come if I called it anything else." So uh, they came, but people. We've had over 10,000, this is a true number, participants go through, just through our church. Now it's being used uh, by pastors across the country, different parts of the world. I don't know how many thousands have, uh, have, have now um, done that. You get to participate in one of those and taste it and see if the practice makes a difference. See what I'm saying? That's on Friday night. Uh, so, uh, supper uh, registration is three or four, or whatever, and then in the evening it starts, and then all day Saturday, then you're in, um, we, uh, in, 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 two of our four services are on Sunday, so then you get to go to one of our services, then we have orientation in, on Sunday afternoon for two hours, I do another presentation on church renewal, what to expect, and we have Q&A, and then in the evening is our prayer summit, and this last prayer summit, I think there were 1,600 people or something like that packed into our auditorium. It's packed. And you should see a prayer summit like that. You want to experience that. Uh, you've got to remember, this is a church that I, could get, I couldn't get 10 people going more than five minutes. Now, part of the reason was they had somebody leading it who didn't have a foggy clue how to lead a prayer meeting either. Uh, You get to do that. Then on Monday morning, we take one session out of the six sessions of the Hearing God seminar that I wrote. Remember, I talked about tools and systems, though. You get to experience it at that level. So the next one is in October. What's the cost for that? It's $139 per person. That's nine meals and materials. And limited free billeting. And uh, there's hotel rooms there as well. And, uh, and then after the weekend, lead pastors and their staffs, if they want, want them to join, they get a chance to sign up for mentoring. And you say, How much does the mentoring cost? Well, that's where I make my money. <laughs> we charge nothing. You get all these materials and you get all the mentoring, 30, 32 hours. Per season, and you get it all free. Now, is it free? No, it's not free. It costs our church a lot. Uh, right now, it's costing is cost church renewal about eight hundred thousand a year to do this, but we don't charge pastors uh, for that. You know why? Because we're family. We are not in competition, and these denominational competitions, they got to cease. Enough's enough. We're family. Is it true? And family love each other. Is that true? You're my brothers and sisters. The people sitting at your table, whether you know them or not, those are your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to have to spend eternity together. I don't want to charge you exorbitant price and then have to look you in the face (laughs) when I get to heaven. You know what I mean? And so we have to help each other. That's where synergy is going to come. And the body of Christ can win.
1: Thank you, Pastor Ray. Before Pastor Mark comes to give us off some uh, directions for lunch, I want to have you hear from two of our pastors who are part of, of Church of Care KR Davidson Jr., please come over here, KR, if you would. And Connie Denbach. And Connie drove in this morning from Toronto to be with you all to, to share a bit of her story. And Carney is is of our first, uh, one of our, of, our, of our team, who's also a coach. Kiar. <laughs> Thank you for, for, for all you're doing, my friend. What's one or two things that God has, has been doing in your life as a result
4: of church renewal? I, th- I think he's, uh, it's interesting because I started church renewal when I started pastoring. Yes. Which was about three years ago, and so I never knew what it was to be a pastor without church renewal, and I thank God for that because in my mind, I'm, uh, I come from a past workaholic tendency. I know no pastors have that issue, um, <laughs> and so I had a lot of ideas of what I would do and how I could do it. Um, but immediately, as soon as I started pastoring, I was uh, inclined to attend this place called Steinbach that I'd never heard of before. I had no idea what the premise of uh, it was about, and it was uh, it was exceptional to say the least. I, I don't know anybody that's ever been to Steinbach that just doesn't come out changed and understanding just the, how the power of God's not only moving through the church. I love it when my dad, you know, my dad would go for walks through the community. You know, when you can have that sense when you Walk into a church; you can just you just know the presence of God is there. The beautiful part is, my dad said, you know, that same presence is there when I walk through the park and when I interact with the people. And I think that that's what we're about. It's it's not just about our church; it's about transforming our cities. It's about transforming the relationships around us. And that's what I wanted. And. I came back, and God just arrested me with respect to all of my great ideas that I was going to apply. He just says, hold off. And the interesting part about church renewal is it's not a program. It's, it's really about dealing at the core of who we are and understanding that God has a plan for our church. And sometimes we've got to get out of the way and be able to listen for what he wants to do. And that takes a little time because we think that we have all the good ideas, or at least I thought that and sometimes still do Um, but as i went through this i i I would have at the beginning uh, i'm going to be frank i'm going to say i I don't need this i'm on fire for god i love jesus i have a great devotional life i'm not one of those burnt out pastors and what i realized is i had some huge issues with pride that i couldn't even see in myself Uh, he's giving me just a love for the local church that i know has been birthed through this but I understand that where I'm at with respect to my relationship with Christ is the ceiling for where everybody's going to be at in my church and the relationships around me. And I go, Lord, what more, what more do you have? And, and the most beautiful part that's come out of this, and it, and it, and it takes time, this isn't, this isn't like a six-week program, like that's just not what it's about. It's, it's transformational at the lifestyle level but now I get to share it with those that are in my church and those that are really close to me those that are on the board and those that are in leadership and we go through it together and it's not like you know as you know as pastors we have that we have that obligation to be able to lead through servitude and where we're at we we need to push that forward but boy is it beautiful when you see the people beside you that are just coming alongside and you see their growth and it's like this growth that's in tandem and um I really wish that you had some of the implement lessons a little earlier on in the stage before I made some of the mistakes. I would always find, I'm, you, know, you know, God pressed on me for to make a change with respect to the leadership, which is something I postponed on for but a good year. And then I finally went and made some of the moves, and uh, lo and behold, the next lesson was all about how to do it without making the mistakes I had made the previous week. <laughs> But everything's very practical, it's rooted in prayer, but it's, it's, it's rooted in understanding that Jesus is here with us and he speaks to us. And man, I want everybody to have the relationship that I have with him. And if there's, uh, if there's the practical tools out there for that to happen, I, I'm bivocational, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, I can go and study anything and I immediately think that everybody's read all the same Bonhoeffer books as me, and all the same, you know, whatever, you know, if, if there's a biography over there, I've read it on Christian leadership or whatever the case may be. And I assume that everybody's there, and they're not. My wife's my best example because she just brings me down to earth and says, just give me something simple. <laughs> and they really want something so that they can interact in relationship. Everybody wants that to be true. And what's come out of this is that and that's that's what I'm thankful for yeah, thank you so much Connie Denbock Connie you drove this morning
1: from Toronto so why did you do that that's my first question I, I have three questions so tell me the first question first why did you drive all the way from Toronto to be here in Niagara today on your own time why
3: I love church renewal I really do um it has made such a change in me and in my church uh, and in a different way than, we've all been to a zillion seminars, yes? And we've all said that's gonna work and taken it home and guess what? And you realize that there's gotta be something more to church than this. And um, I don't feel any un- under any obligation to chair church, church renewal, I don't feel that I have to, I don't feel like I owe you anything. But Jesus is in the center of this. And it's way too valuable not to share. Because if Jesus if Jesus is launching a discipleship movement that will transform pastors and transform churches and transform the country... Why in the world wouldn't we drive to Antarctica to share that?
1: Connie, how many years have you now been part of church renewal? How many years?
3: I went to my first church renewal meeting five years ago in May. Oh, May's over. Five years. I should get my... What are the tokens you get for... (laughs) No. A big thank you. Okay, and uh, I've been coaching for four years.
1: Now, is there a a change starting to show now in your church? In Toronto.
3: Oh yes, uh, five years ago, our tra- depressing just wouldn't wouldn't um, describe it adequately. And the worst part of our church was actually the pastor. Um, our board meetings would go on till Who was a pastor? Oh, that was me, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you do. Um, our board meetings would go on till eleven o'clock, watching people body check each other, pretty much with their own agendas. Uh, We lost chair after chair after chair because they couldn't stand it. We couldn't get anything done. In our polity, the minister has no input into the agenda, the minister doesn't chair, and the minister doesn't have a vote at the board. And it was just going in circles and going nowhere. And the harder we, the harder I worked, the less got done. And You have to understand that church renewal, you've heard it said that it's not a program. It is a renewed interaction between the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit, ancient practices of the church, and practical application week after week after week in mentoring. And that is a combination I think that has rarely arisen in church history, and you can take a situation where nothing should be able to be made to work no matter what you do with it, and you have to appreciate in the United Church, it's not a lot easier than in your churches. I'm being a little sarcastic. The Lord's still working on some character issues, sorry. Um, But there is something remarkable about applying the smarts of God to your situation with the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit to change people's lives the way he's changing your life as a church leader that comes out with results that nothing else can make happen and certainly not another seminar. And so when we're talking about church renewal, if I can be so bold as to keep re- redefining it for you, we're really talking about re-engaging with Jesus in the Great Commission, which is making disciples of all nations and starting with us.
1: Tony, thank you so very, very much.
3: Friends, what' happened? Mark, will you come, please?
1: Pastor Mark will, will give us some uh, food directions, and then we'll, we'll have a very, very quick lunch if we could. And then have a, a, a Q&A time with you all and Pastor Ray before we'll wind up and be out of here about one thirty. Mark, please. It's your time for a Q&A time with Pastor Ray Erickson. Anybody. Who's, who's the first one? In the back, please.
0: Yeah, I think I heard you say three things. Uh, simple tools, systems. I'm guessing there's a third S. I S. Strategies. Didn't get it. Strategies. There you yeah. go. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Can you say a little something about the... Well, the strategies—I guess that would just be the—what are you doing next? How are you putting this? No, the, the
2: the the uh, the strategies uh, that we use are, for example, the the mentoring would be a, a strategy as opposed to conferences, seminars, that kind of stuff. So the mentoring is critical for that, for passing on information. You can go to—we can, uh, you know, we can have a thousand books in our libraries. We can go to endless conferences and stuff. But we read all these books we have all this information but we can't retain that mentoring is a way that you retain the information that you need to actually do what needs to be done it's also needed for uh, impartation Uh, if you're going to pass on heart you can't pass on heart through books Uh, conferences again can do it to a point but you get one shot at it that's it if i come here i talk to you one time in my life and i go away i will never change your life never but if i spend or you spend three years with somebody for 30 weeks one hour a week for 30 weeks and you do that for three years you're going to impact that that person for forever not only will you impact them you'll impact uh, many other people. I always say, it's one thing, you know, in our church, however number there are, many people, I can impact that many. But if I can impact a hundred pastors, multiply that times 200 or 300 or 100 or whatever number you want to use, it's remarkable. That's, That's an example of a strategy that we're using, yeah. The system would be the. Uh, it's very systematic. We got these. We got these categories, and then we. And not only do we implement by just throwing information out there, we say this is how you. This is how you do it. You start with this one first, and then you do this one, and then you do this one. Here's the reason why. So much of what we do in the Christian life today, we need synergy because we don't. Time isn't on our side. Let's just say it. Time is not on our side. That's why we've got to help each other. Uh, So if, for example, the first implementation... I'm telling you all kinds of things coming out of a a question like that. So we're answering this question, but we're also answering other questions that... So don't worry, okay? If you're going to... uh, 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 So uh, here we're talking about a, a strategy and we're talking about um, how you're going to implement, you can't just throw information at people and say, here, go, take the information and now run with it. No, 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 no. Because there's right ways to do it, and there's wrong ways to do it. There's ways that will take you ten years to get it done, and there's ways that if you do it, it'll take you five years, or it'll take you two years to get it done. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, it's, it's like when you're building a building it, church renewal isn't as much the metaphor is not to use the pic, uh, uh, a puzzle where if you take all the pieces, eventually it doesn't really matter which puzzle piece you begin with, eventually the whole thing gets made, right? The better metaphor is a building constructing a building, you don't start with a roof you don't start with windows, is that true? You start without foundation. And now you lay a foundation. And now you start to, uh, you know, lay a floor on that. Now you start putting up walls. Now you start putting rafters. Now you get that roof. You know, you get the windows. Now you get the doors and stuff. There is a, there is a way to do it, and there's a way not to do it. Systems. So how are you going to implement it in a way that when you're doing one thing, it's going to affect another thing in a church in a positive way and not in a negative way. In other words, don't start here, start here. Because if you start here, it will help you with this one and this one and this one. So, for example, one of the things we say, Implementation 1, Lesson 13, Level 1, we say... Um, uh, uh, mentor your core. So by the t- you're in the abide the, a, a lead pastor will be in abide uh, let's say abide lessons. Okay, so he's being mentored in the abide lessons for himself. By the time he gets to lesson number thirteen, we say now we want you to take your core and do the exact same thing with them. Who's your core? Well, the way we define core in lesson number thirteen is spouse, board, and staff. Whoever the key influencers of your church, whoever that happens to be. And by the way, one of them is your spouse, whether you want them to be or not. True? Whether they're on staff or not, not has nothing to do with the issue. They have influence and they're what the people are watching it. So, we do that. Why do we do that? Well, be- because at some point you're going to implement uh, an event like a hearing god seminar are you going to you're going uh, to implement a set free retreat or you're going to implement a, a, an empower ministers retreat or a prayer seminar or whatever it is that really impacts the church but you don't want to get to those events and now you find out you got one stickler on your board or one staff member or one influential per- person in your church who is going to now stop the whole thing if you start Discipling or mentoring them right away with you know by lesson number 13, long before the end of level one, 28 lessons, it's before the next implement steps. And so what's going to happen is you're going to number one, you're gonna find out. I'm just giving an example of how this works. That, that, this is an example, but you're learning something at the same time. These are the things we dis- some of the kinds of things we discuss. You're going to find out very quickly, which is if, if you have a board member who's going to try to stop you from renewing your church. You're going to find it out, but you're going to find it out when it's in secret or when it's in quiet, when you're discipling, not when you've announced an event to the entire church and invited them all out and now somebody sticks up their head and fights you on this thing. Do you see what I'm saying? But not only that... If uh, Chances are they're going to want to and they're going to be discipled and when they're discipled they're going to change so that by the time you get to an event that affects many people at one time they're going to help you pull in that direction. Does that make sense? So there's a reason why we say okay now d- implement here first. Now do the hearing God and that will affect your prayer meeting and then if you do that that will affect your Per partners, and if you do that, that will affect your set free, and so on, so 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 forth. So tools, simple tools for multiplication, systems. How do you do it? And then strategies. And for church renewal, a key strategy, for example, would be the mentoring thing, which, by the way, is an ancient path. Who did mentoring? Jesus. Did we come up with anything new? Nope, nothing. Someone else? Great question, thank you.
3: Very simple, what is the nearest airport to Steinbeck? <laughs> um,
2: Steinbeck, Steinbeck uh, Airport. Uh, that's the one I fly out of because I fly. But no, the one that you'd be flying into would be Winnipeg, yes. And it's, uh, from there it's uh, 60 minutes because it's on the northwest end of Winnipeg. So then you drive another 60 minutes to get to us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, when the ancient paths have been abandoned or rejected... Do you simply move on from where you are? Or does there have to be repentance and acknowledgement of that abandonment and rejection?
2: Uh, Yes, I I think you answered the question. You're, you're, You're correct. When you abandon the ancient paths, then we repent. That's the only way to get back on the ancient paths. Repentance essentially means that we've abandoned or gone away from God and His ways. And repentance is when we come to that understanding and realization and not just say sorry, but we turn around and now we get back uh, to Him. So, yes, you, uh, you hit it. Yeah, you're absolutely correct.
3: I was just wondering, is it, um, is it part of the, the dynamics to, to be at the retreat, or you, can you start with the... Um, mentoring. Mentoring, yeah. if you cannot make it to the weekend.
2: Yeah. Uh, oh, very good question. I'm glad you asked, asked that. Uh, for, um, uh, we require that, that the people that we're going to mentor are, first go to a retreat. And the reason is because it's, it, takes, it takes 10 times as long for them to figure out what we're trying to, where we're trying to go with them. When they see it and when they taste it, and, and, and first of all, it, it puts a tremendous desire in a pastor. Right now, uh, you know, you're, you're looking at this and you're evaluating, like you should. You should be evaluating. That doesn't mean right now that you have this overwhelming desire. Yes, I'm. This is what I'm going to do. You got to go and taste and see, see what it does for you, but also see what it how it has affected a church that lives like that. And then you go, okay, this is what I want. Desire is the first thing that we need if we're going to change the status quo. Before we can learn anything, we have to have a desire. So that helps get the desire. The second thing it does, it gives you a, a picture of a preferred future. I don't mean... You're going to look like exactly like Southland, have the same building and all that kind of stuff. No, that's not what I mean. But it gives you an idea in your head of what it means to be renewed. That's what a church look, can look like when it's renewed. Oh, I get it. Now, you take that in your setting, and it's going to look a certain way. So that's why we, we require it. It makes the mentoring much, much easier for us.
4: Great question. Any retreats in Ontario or are they all in, in Manitoba? Uh, at this
2: point, uh, the, the day might come because yeah. churches are being changed and renewed and stuff like that. We've discussed that. At someday that probably will happen at this point. Uh, because here, here's the other thing you have to remember. All the, these churches are changing. K.R. was talking about it, Uh and uh, Mark talked about how it's changed his life and stuff, and there's so many pastors that would testify to something like that. And uh, Connie was talking about it. But here's what you have to remember, Southland, Southland didn't plateau. Southland continues to grow in renewal. Just like these other churches are growing in renewal, so what we want people
4: to see is this. Yeah, and so the materials and everything that you were showing are available when after you attend the retreat. That's
2: correct. During and retreat. and not, uh, but but I'm going to say that with a qualification. It is true that pastors get all those materials, but we don't just. It's not like they sign up. And now we send them all the materials. No. Uh, we have divided the manuals up into two parts. 1A, 1B, 2A, 2B, 3A, 3B. And the reason we do it that way is so that uh, if should there be an unscrupulous kind of individual that wants to just get the materials and then run, uh, they can't do that. So they get half of it they get mentored in the first 14 lessons, then they get the second half. So they stay in uh, mentoring. And here's the reason why. It's not just because we're, uh, we're we're proprietary. Obviously we're not, because we're not getting any money for it. However, we're, what we are doing is guarding the integrity of the materials and of the strategy, That going back to that word, because without mentoring, it's just more information. And information, if information could have changed our churches, this should be the most renewed church in the history of mankind because we got more information than we've ever had. And the truth of the matter is the information has killed us. It's not more information we need. We need the right information and then we need we need to apply it, and that means we've got to do it together. When we don't do it together, we don't apply it. And Mark, just cut us off when it's time to cut off, okay? Just say, that's it.
1: There's two, two more, Mark, two more. <laughs> all
2: right. And that's not on my part. That's for you, to be merciful to all of you
3: Uh, What does the mentoring look like, and what does it consist of?
2: Uh, The mentoring, uh, so, uh, okay, so they they get the first half of level one when they start, and uh, they're assigned a lesson, they read the lesson, and the lesson might be 10 pages long, Uh, I think the longest lesson is 30 pages long, because occasionally you run into theology issues, and and then you gotta, you got to go a little further because it's, you're dealing with pastors here. And uh, so you can't just throw whatever. And many, many denominations. Can you believe that? How many denominations are staying in something like this? That's hard to believe, that you're going to have such a cross-section. Do you know that at one of our church renewal weekends, we had over 70, 70 deno- denominations represented? That's phenomenal. This is a Holy Spirit kind of thing. So anyway, they read it. There's an information section. They've got to answer the questions about the materials. That's information. Then comes application, personal application questions. And then comes implementation questions. And depending on what kind of... a lesson it is there's going to there's always information questions but sometimes in the abide and grow character there's lots of application not much on the implementation other than you've got to be mentoring the the your core group you know along the way as well once you get into levels two and three and so uh, and beyond then there's implementation. Lots of implementation. Did you implement this? You know, did you get the hearing God going? Did you get the weekend prayer going? Did you get this going? Did you, did, tra, tra tra So there's those kinds kinds of questions. The whole thing is based on
1: doing something. Yeah. One last question, Mark. If you would find somebody, from, one one final one. Hello. Yeah. Okay. Um, rule of thumb to move a church from prayer-believing but not praying, to prayer-saturated, is five to seven years. And I'm just starting to see that happen in my church I'm year four. What's a rule of thumb kind of framework to move a church from organizational structural um, mass to church renewed?
2: Uh, That's a really good question there. Uh, Is it David? Yeah. A really good question, David. Um, I wish I could give you an easy answer. It isn't, and I'll tell you why, because there are so many variables that are involved here. You have to consider the age of the pastor, the experience of the pastor, the giftings of the pastor. For example, many pastors are very strong uh, shepherds, maybe even teachers, uh, not necessarily very strong on the leadership side, which means they can't navigate very well. So they're trying to move a church into something, but they're, they're really spinning. The next guy, you know, maybe he's, been, uh, maybe he's learned it through experience. Maybe his giftings is, are a little better, that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and what's you know, how long have they been at the church? Have they been there three years? Have they been there 30 years? And I have all those kinds of variables. Then you have denominational issues that, that play into it with the, theology. Do they believe in hearing God? They don't necessarily all believe that necessarily right away. So then you run into that kind of issue. Some are, oh, yeah, we, <laughs> we believe in it, just haven't been doing it. And so they're ready to fly into it. The church is ready. So where's the church at? There's, uh, I counted variables uh, not that long ago in a lesson that I was writing. I, I forget how many variables, but it was quite a list. So, the, all those variables affect the timeline of something like that. Yeah.
3: But it's
2: years, it's not months. Uh, oh, yes. and by, uh, Yes, okay, very good. We're not talking about uh, renewing or transforming a church in months. No. In fact, this is a lifelong proposition. We're, we're talking about saying this is what I now do. I. This is the pathway I'm on. This is what I'm going to do with my church for the remainder of my life. Yeah. And then you just keep working that. We've been doing it, you know, 24 years at Southland now. Would you say an
4: early adopted church would probably move this way in
3: three or four years?
2: Yes. Yes. yes, exactly. It's going to, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And yeah, an age of congregants, do you have more millennials? do you have more or do you have more boomers or uh you know that kind of stuff? It's going to make a huge difference on how quickly you can move on some of these things yeah.
1: <clears throat> well friends before we wrap up, maybe just one more comment on your, David on that, on your uh, thought right there talking last night to about a 30-year-old Asian pastor now into to his second year of mentoring. Pretty gifted young guy, and he said, I'm told because of the radical change in my life. Now it's impacting my board and those all around me. So he said, Johnny said, it's going faster than what I would have thought. But again, he said, that was his storyboard. Uh, last one was this, that uh, a pastor from Vancouver is a Chinese pastor in a large, large Chinese church. And in that culture, it takes more time because of, of, of the cultural nuances. But a year back when he came with a small team of 12 that time, he came out of the press. and he said to me after, he so said, John, I now have to build a new file folder in my brain for prayer, coming out of the Celtine's monthly prayer meeting. So again, it's the whole idea, the whole concept of God changing me. Seeing that picture of a, of a, an amazing future ahead of me, I still not 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 I'm sorry, haven't experienced this yet. And then saying, Lord, that's where I want to go. In fact, that's where I have to go. Now, before we have a prayer by K.R. Davidson on your table are, are two things. One is a traditional brochure. To, to, let's if you want to join us, let's say in October or in January in Steinbeck, right? But if you're coming in October, you better sign up by, the, by mid-summer before it's all filled up, right? And the info is all in, in this brochure right here. In other words, there's also a little church renewal response card if you want us in some way to, to connect with you over the days and weeks ahead. And with that, I'll ask Carol to come up, please, if you would, and close us off in your comments and prayer. And friends, thank you for coming out today and taking time with us and we pray in some way how you've been encouraged to see a, a future that includes you.
4: It's interesting. Uh, when John and Lorraine met with me last year, uh, I didn't really have a gauge of what the response of the Niagara Church would be. And one of the things that I navigated with Mark Royal and others that assisted uh, in organizing this is I had an opportunity to review each and every church in Niagara. There's about 437 of them. As I went through the listings, um, sometimes I was saddened because I would find a newspaper article and see that a, a, a church had closed. And Every time, it's just sort of like it was a, like this knife that hit me. But what I did see was I would check every one of the church's websites and the events that were going on. And, you know... There's a little Jehovah Sneaky going on. God is active and vibrant in all of these churches in Niagara, and you can't tag a denomination as being dead or another one as being alive. He's just moving. And I believe that this is a response to what God wants to do. And um, it's prompted me to take a look at a little bit of a church history in Niagara. And uh, I came across this conference that was held in Niagara in the Lake in 1888. And I think some of you know the conference that I'm referring to. D.L. Moody had invited Hudson Taylor to North America. He says, You've got to come to North America. We've got to do something more with the ministry that you have with the China Inland Min- uh, Mission. And the beautiful part is that the first place that he visited in North America was Niagara in the Lake. And he gave his speech to those pastors, and uh, he left niagara in the lake not knowing what the response would be. And he got news while he was in the U.S. that Niagara had stepped up to the plate and that they had sponsored eight missionaries, the first missionaries to be sponsored from North America for the China Inland Mission. And as that news went out to the various missionaries that had already started to commit through the United States, those missionaries would start to lead to a send-off from their own hometowns. And their own hometowns wouldn't even accept the money that Niagara had. It had started a spark. And there was missionary upon missionary that was supported thereafter through North America. At the time Hudson Taylor came to North America, he only had 200 missionaries in, in China, And before he passed away, there was 1,200. And I think we know the story of the effect in the China Inland Mission. Was it Niagara that made that move in China? No. Did they get to play a part in something that God was doing? Absolutely. They had the privilege and they had the honor. I believe that each and every person that we see on a Sunday has a desire to know Christ, and for some reason there's something blocking them. And I, and, I, and I really believe that they need help. They need things that are functional, not ethereal. And, and, I, and I know this. I've lived this. And I can tell you, if you're in mentoring, you'll be convicted by the other pastors as they move, even more than you get convicted by Ray and his stories. Because it's about us working together in unity. And as I see what God is doing here, he's saying, you know what? Niagara really is the Bible Belt of Canada. And we're going to step up to the plate and there's going to be something seen here that hasn't been seen before. And we're going to let the Holy Spirit not just come into our building, we're going to let him come into our region. And we're going to let him have his way. And we're going to honor Jesus Christ as Lord. So I ask that you bow your heads as we just close in prayer and we just ask him to come in and do what he does. Lord... The privilege is all ours to step into a time and place where we can hear you and we can obey you we love you Lord we love that you've chosen us out of all the people that you could have chose you chose us to know you personally Lord that we might be able to move in something greater that this would be known to our neighbors to our friends to our family, and to those in our church, Lord, that you would be glorified and that your name would be lifted high. That is our petition. That is our request. Thank you, Jesus, for being our king. Amen. I want to thank Mark Royal and everybody from the Gate Alliance Church for being an integral part of hosting this. There's others, uh, you know, Gail Gail Davidson uh, was supporting me throughout. Um, uh, Jeeva Sam and others have been part of inviting people out here. And uh, last but not least, I really want to thank uh, Church Renewal, Fran and Ray Dirksen, John and Lorraine Bergen. Um, I think that this is just a great privilege, and we thank you so very much. Uh, So I just want to give a round of applause to... If you know Ray, this is a real anomaly that we went like 13 minutes past the deadline. So the nice part is when you start mentoring, you start on the dot and you end on the dot. So uh, thank you for your patience and extending uh, the liberty of the additional 13 minutes. And I thank you everyone for coming out. It was a real privilege to get to know some of you and I look forward to chatting with you more so. Thank you very much.